Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Tapeheads is a production of iHeartMedia and the NFL. Welcome to another edition of Tapeheads Draft Season. Bob Oshusen, longtime radio voice of the Jets, ESPN College Football, Greg Cosell, of course, breaks the tape down and has been doing so for four decades plus for NFL films. Nobody takes a deeper dive into the All-22 than Greg Cosell, other than perhaps our next guest, because Mike Tannenbaum is kind enough to spend some time with us. And Mike, of course, ran the New York Jets, ran the Miami Dolphins, longtime NFL general manager, and has now officially turned into Darth Vader and has come over to the dark side and is a member of the media. So, Mike, thanks for doing <laughs> this. We, we appreciate it. Welcome to our world once again. I, I like to think I'm, most importantly, the, the procurer of broadcast talent, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, you have, do you have any, uh, like, like when they take those FBI reports and you have, like, redacted lines on them, do you redact any parts of your resume that had my name on it from earlier in your career? No, maybe just Vernon Golston. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we're, we're not going there. We are not going there. Thank God you've got the jet guy hosting the podcast because we're not even going to act like that happened. All right. Um, you know, Mike, on, and uh, we've been trying to kind of establish this with the listeners that we get every week to let them know that this is not, you know, your mock draft podcast, right? Like we're not going to try. We don't do the draft. We don't put mock boards up. We try as best we can to bring the real football nerd like we are, like the guys that love to dive inside the game, dive inside the X's and O's, crawl behind the game, an inside look on how draft boards really come together. What really is the process, the misunderstandings and misconceptions maybe that folks have for the world that you lived in. I think a lot of people, and we've been talking about this, think that your board looks like a mock draft, right? You rank players like one to 300 and you just start ticking them off. And if you've got the 31st pick and your 31st best player is on the board, you just take him. And obviously that is not the way that this works. So could you maybe just give kind of a wide angle lens of how the board comes together during that process for you so, you know, folks have a real understanding of, of how it works? Well, first of all, I think one of the bigger surprises, Bob, is uh, 
it's an 11 month process. So it actually starts in May of, so the 22 draft started in May of, of 21. And a lot of the work's done by area scouts, road scouts when they're out in the fall. And one of the guys that I respect a ton is uh, Charlie Casserly. I, I think he did a great job for multiple decades, GMs for a lot of teams. And me and June, I always try to pick the brains of the Ron Wolves, the Bill Pullians, Charlie Casserly's. And Charlie Casserly said something to me that was very interesting that stayed with me, us, which was over a period of time, and there's exception to every rule, more times than not, the grade that was the most accurate was the pure football grade, meaning how they played in the fall was the best grade. So there is a board that's set by grade, and we do have an overall board, but we also have it by position. And and every team does it a little bit differently, but basically by the end of the season, you have a board with a ranking. And then you get into the offseason, which includes things like All-Star Games, East-West, Senior Bowl. Obviously, the Combine's a very big part of it. And then Pro Days, which is where we are now. And then all that information, along with security, psychological testing, medical, will formulate your board and you really do get everyone's input. But at the end, you are stacking your board two different ways, Bob. One, overall, but secondly, you know, by position. And it's the juxtaposition of those two things compared to where your roster is that ultimately will formulate your decisions. Hmm. So, Mike, let me ask you this. You brought up the fact that there's a number of factors that go into all of this. You know, obviously, we're in the offseason now, so we had the senior bowl, the combine, pro days, and we can get into that in a minute. But ultimately, you know, there's a lot of tape on a lot of players. You know, uh, rarely, let's say, does a player play four years like a Kenny Pickett, but there's certainly enough tape on players. What's the relative percentage importance of all these factors? Because at the end of the day, we're still playing football. And, you know, we all go to the combine now and we watch guys who train specifically, get in a track stance, and then run a 438 if you're a receiver, and then you put their tape on and they don't play like they're a 438 guy. You know, the science and the technology is just increasing to the point where it's more than likely that the numbers, the measurables, are just going to get better and better. So what is the relative percentage importance of all these factors that go into putting a board together and, and evaluating and projecting a player? Yeah, you know, great question, Greg. I don't think there's a magic formula. Um, one of the things that's really important to me, though, is character. And, you know, in a sentence, to me, that's who, how you treat people that can't help you. Um, as we go through life, your true character is how you treat the waiter, the waitress, the bus driver, the equipment manager. That's who you really are. So to uh, discern actionable information to go along with how they play, to me, is the most consequential. And then you factor in other things, again, like durability, their ability to learn, um, other bumps in the road they may have had. Um, off the field. So, but how they play football is by far the most important aspect of it. And uh, I'll tell you guys an interesting story about that. Going back to uh, first draft with the Dolphins, we, we had a really good, not great, a good left tackle in Brandon Albert. And we had a gazillion needs, like most teams do defense line, corner. And the number one player on our board was Laramie Tunsil. And Laramie Tunsil was a great kid at the University of Mississippi really close with his mother, outstanding teammate. And he had a bump in the road and that came public just as we were heading into the draft. And uh, it was a video that I think a lot of our audience is probably familiar with. And nowhere in a million years that we have any scenario that a healthy Laramie Tunsil would be sitting there with the 13th pick. And what he was, we gladly drafted him. Turned out to be one of the best picks 
of my career. And that fell back to the two principles we just discussed, Greg, how Laramie Tunsil played as a pass protecting left tackle in the SEC and how great of a teammate and person he was. And that was an example of just a good person who had made a mistake. Hmm. Mike Tannenbaum with us, longtime general manager in the NFL, Bob Shoes and Greg Cosell. This, of course, is Tapehead's draft season. And, Mike, that kind of leads me to, again, in a way to a different topic. And maybe it's a guy falling based on something that the league perceives as a character issue, whatever. But all of a sudden, you've got a player on your board that you can't believe is there. And it is absolutely not at a position of need for you. Where's your Mendoza line? Is there one? Like, where do, where do you get, what's the conversation in the room like where obviously you're going to have certain guys going, look, we don't need a left tackle. We've got one. What are we doing? Hey, guys, this is a prohibitively wonderful player. We have to draft this guy, even if it's not something that we need. What's that conversation like, and where's your line for need versus best? Yeah, context is really important. You know, one of our, the better drafts we had at the Jets, you know, we traded up for Darrell Rivas. There was two other corners in that draft that we liked. Uh, Aaron Ross from Texas, Leon Hall from Michigan. We just felt like Revis was the better player, and um, we uh, traded up for him. And um, then we're sitting there in the second round, and I'll always give uh, Brian Cox, a longtime player in the league, now the defense line coach for the Giants. He's like, you know, keep an eye on that David Harris guy. You know, I think he's going to fall in the second round. And I said, there's no way, Brian. Like, he's too good of a player. He'll never be within striking distance in the second round. And there he was. And we had a first-round grade on David Harris. And we're like, wow, we just gave up all these picks to get Darrell Revis. Like, we can't do that again. And we're like, you know what? He's too good of a player, too high a character, perfect fit. And we came away with Revis and Harris, who were great players for a long time on, on really good teams. So, you know, that's really, like, to me, you have to be prepared. And then all these unexpected things are going to happen. And then you just try to make the best decisions possible at those, at those moments. Let me ask you this, Mike, because obviously, you know, every team has a coaching staff and a coaching staff, an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. They have certain uh, approaches. You know, they have certain concepts. This is how they, they coach. This is what they want their their offense or their defense to look like. And they want players that kind of fit their scheme. Um, and, and there's very few scheme transcendent players in a draft. So what is the relationship between the so-called traits of a player that your scouts and, and your personnel people are looking at and defining versus the coaches who are looking for scheme adaptability within their schemes. You know, how do, how do you sort of balance those two things? Yeah, I think it comes back to vision. And, and in my career, nobody did a better job of that than Bill Belichick. Uh, I had a chance to work for coaching in both Cleveland and at the Jets. And I think the way he coaches, Greg, is really in a lot of ways the way he drafts like player sort of like strategy meetings, player personnel meetings. And, and what I mean is take out like a Patrick Chung or a Dante Hightower. You know, if we were working for coach, we would have in our reports, like what is our vision for the player? What can he do well? And, you know, if Patrick Chung can come down the slot and play man to man, he's going to come down the slot and play man to man. If Dante Hightower can two gap against the run, can blitz, you know, be a good interior blitzer. You know, those are the things you're going to see him do. Willie McGinnis, what can Willie McGinnis do? He could set the edge. He could carry, you know, tight end up the seam. He's not going to be great on running backs on the wheel route. Um, so to me, you really want to marry, like, the talent of the player and the vision for the to how he gets to the field. Now, sometimes that's not perfect, um, but if the player has such attributes that are 
compelling. You know, there is also the saying like, hey, if our scheme doesn't work for this player, maybe we need to tweak the scheme a little bit if, if the player is that good. So, but when you're in these meetings, and, and candidly, that goes for like pro personnel. And I think one of the reasons Coach Belichick's been so successful, and I know we're talking more about the draft, but on the pro side of things, guys, over time, he's draft, he's acquired players that he's had trouble defending or have given him issues. And it's really interesting to watch him from a team-building standpoint. That's fascinating. Great stuff already with Mike Tannenbaum. More to come. Longtime general manager in the National Football League here with Bob Wischusen and Greg Cosell. Coming right back on Tapehead's Draft Season. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds you know, the basketball nerds. They're like, you know, who's really good? Creighton. You don't watch Creighton. They play. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, going to win. Not the Big East tournament? They're, well, I mean, they could. maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But, like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Creighton is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. that. Like, that's why do we all have to act like Creighton? Is a is a is a good team. Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of those. And then those. Never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys and they lose out to like, you know, Lil Dirk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Dirk was better. Why are you t- why are you telling me the whole time? <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Bob Shoes and Greg Cosell with Mike Tannenbaum here on Tapehead's Draft Season, continuing our talk about the draft. And, you know, Mike, kind of picking up where you left off a moment ago, talking about how Bill Belichick formulates his team, looks for players that fit what, you know, he's looking for that may not necessarily be the prototypical player in that spot on someone's draft board. You might have a couple of stories along these lines when you're running a draft, part of a war room. Do you have any good ones where there was a guy that was just like you have a second round grade on this player. He's available in the fourth round, something like that. And maybe now there's a conversation in the room where, boy, what are we missing about this guy? Why is everyone passing on him? Or there's a scout pounding the table in that room saying, hey, what are we doing? We have to take this player Um, that that kind of shows the process of when a guy starts to slip, how you deal with it. Yeah, we traded up for Xavier Howard in Miami, and we felt like that year, like there was a cliff after 
he after like we thought he was the last quarter that could come in and start. And we he got to the second round, which we sort of anticipated because of uh his time speed. He played faster than he ran, like from a timing standpoint. So that was one where and, and we, there's another whole aspect to this. And I give Terry Bradway someone I had a real privilege of working for over 18 years together with. You know, we, we used to talk about things like must and needs, like a must was something like we can't operate the team if we don't fill this position. Like we're going to have to call Roger Goodell and cancel the game. Like we, we couldn't, <laughs> like, a must is a must. Like the game is canceled. A need is like, we got to get better. Like we don't match up well with this player playing. So there's must and needs. And sometimes if it's a must, like you're going to attack it in more than one way, be it pro personnel trades, free agency, the draft, whatever you're, you're going to throw a lot of resources at it. And that year in Miami, we had a need at corner. We needed a corner that could start. And Vance Joseph, who is one of the best evaluators I had ever worked with, loved him. We had a real vision for how he was going to fit. We were hoping he would get there, kind of got to in striking distance, and we traded up for him. So that was an example of someone like that was falling. In the back of our minds, we're like, gosh, he could be there in the second round, and, and he was, and we were fortunate enough to take advantage of that. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I remember Xavier Howard. I actually, I liked him a lot when he came out of college, but but I thought he was a certain kind of player. He's turned out to be a really good pro. But you know what's fascinating to me, Mike, is you could talk to different evaluators, you know, and, and, and we do the 33rd team, and it's, you know, different people have such drastically different evaluations of the same player. You know, guys we would respect, we all respect, and we know they're really good at what they do. And I always find that fascinating. You know, you've been in the business a long time working with a lot of people. Uh, you know, if you could just talk about that a little bit, how guys, you could take one player and you might look at him and say, wow, this guy's a first round player. And another guy who you would have tremendous respect for would look at the same guy and say, I see him as a fourth or fifth round player. I always find that so fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, going back to my jet days, one of the things that really helped my career was, I got to work around a lot of people with disparate views of, of, of team building and they were successful. I'll be very specific here. Had a chance to work for Herm Edwards. He came from a system philosophically where the corners were going to be bigger. They could tackle. They would have eyes on the quarterback and, and play really good zone. And in five years with coach Edwards, we went to the playoffs three times and had a really good run with him. You know, um, he moved on to Kansas city. We sort of pivoted to coach Mangini had success Rex came in and Rex was probably the easiest coach I ever had a chance to work with for two reasons. Number one, if we ever had a disagreement, I always used to say, look, we're five to 600 calories away from getting this thing solved. And I would just walk in with an emergency venti mocha frappuccino <laughs> and 100% of the time I would get my way. And if it was a really difficult decision, I would come in with extra whipped cream. So the Florham Park, New Jersey Starbucks knew that if there was a disagreement in the jet building, we were one mocha frappuccino away from solving it. With whipped cream. So, <laughs> the difficult awesome. ones were with extra whipped yeah. I'd walk in there, he'd be pissed or disagree with me. He just sucked that thing down. He's like, Tannenbaum, whatever you want. It worked every single time. <laughs> but it, it, uh, it all seriousness. The thing about with Rex was, you know, he his vision of defense was always about long and tall corners. So he wanted guys like really the opposite of what Herm wanted in terms of he wanted guys that he's like, Mike, we're building a basketball team. Like I want length on the back end. And the best example I could give you is Antonio Cromartie. Yeah. And I, when I watch Sauce Gardner of Cincinnati, like he is like, 
I can see the Giants taking him because Don Martindale plays the same system and they're long and they can play man. And for him, Rex had this expression is like, let's change the math. If they're, you know, having six offensive linemen or six people protecting the quarterback, we're sending seven. If they're max protecting with seven, we're sending eight. And all we have to do, Mike, is hold up on the back end just long enough so we can hit the quarterback. And that's why, like, it's so interesting you mentioned that, Greg, because here I am in the same building talking about the same exact position. And both guys, you know, Rex goes to two championship games. Herm goes to the playoffs three out of five years. We're talking about the exact same position, and they're totally different players. Like, a corner for Herm is probably more of a safety for, for Rex. Yeah. Um, and each system has its pros and cons. There's nothing magical. Um, it, what's interesting, though, too, is the influence, like, Tony Dungy influenced Herm, and they came from that system that they had so much success, the Baronellis and Monty Kiffins for all those years in Tampa, that Tampa 2 system, and just put a lot of premium on vision to the quarterback, running to the ball, being great tacklers. Rex came from his dad, the late great Buddy Ryan, whose idea was, no, we're going to blitz. We're blitzing from warm-up when they come off the bus, and we got to play man-to-man on the back end. If we can't, the, the defense – really doesn't work. Yeah, so yep. there's a perfect example of what we were talking about a little bit ago when you get into this the scheme, the scheme adaptability of specific players. You know, unless you have a transcendent corner, let's say, that can do everything, and there's not that many of those guys in any draft. So you start getting into what the scheme is with the defensive coach or the head coach who's a defensive guy, and therefore they view different players in a totally different light. Yeah, that's exactly right. Totally agree with that, Greg. It, it is fascinating. And, you know, Mike, you mentioned Sauce Gardner. I'm dying to kind of spin it forward and just get your take on this, maybe just the top of the first round of this draft. It's always about the quarterback, right? Even when it's a draft where there aren't quarterbacks at the top of the draft, it's about am I going to go draft a guy to go pressure the quarterback? Am I going to draft one of those corners that's going to have eyes on the quarterback? Am I going to draft one of these big tackles to protect the quarterback? So, like, what what's your take on how you think the, guy, the team's at the top of this draft board will approach these prospects because there are a lot of varying opinions out there, especially in a year where there is not consensus about franchise quarterbacks at the top of the draft. Yeah, and the draft has already impacted what we've seen over the last three weeks. It's not by coincidence that the Deshaun Watsons, the Matt Ryans, everything else going on, Russell Wilsons, that's all a meaningful impact of this year's draft. Like, the person that's sitting at the chair right now is John Schneider and Pete Carroll with the ninth pick. They're going to sit there and say, it's Drew Locke, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, however they have that evaluated. So they're going through that iteration right now. Are they better off trying to trade for Baker Mayfield? Um, candidly, of all the things about running a team, that's the part that I enjoyed the most was the strategy of the juxtaposition. Are we better off with Locke and Mayfield and a top 10 player, or are we better off taking Kenny Pickett or – Malik Willis, um, and those are the conversations that are happening right now in the Seahawk uh, building, and they're making those sort of like value judgments. I think this year's draft is interesting because if I was Jacksonville, there's no doubt I'm taking Aiden Hutchinson, and, and here's why. he He's a force multiplier. When you're a team like Jacksonville, you, you need sort of transcendent cultural impact more so than 
I don't really care if the guy has six sacks, eight sacks, two sacks. Like he's a guy that's going to make the whole program better, and that's what Jacksonville needs. That's that's really interesting. And you, you know, we were talking about the quarterbacks, and in many ways, it's always a quarterback draft. So let me just ask you about pro days because obviously this week we've had pro days by quarterbacks. We had Kenny Pickett, we had Malik Willis. How did pro days factor into your evaluation? They shouldn't factor in a lot, but um, I'll, I'll tell a story that um, really maybe the most impactful pro day of all time. So again, going back to 07, we needed a corner. And that year, Darrell Rivas was a junior who declared very late in the process. He played in the Big East, and there were not many good receivers that year. And we were picking 21. And Rivas had an unbelievable pro day workout. We didn't even get the film yet on it. And Bradway calls from the airport. He goes, Mike, we got to trade up for Darrell Rebus. He's like, there's 0% chance he'll be there at 21. His workout was too good. So that that's just an example, Greg. Of that's when a pro day will be the most consequential. When it's a player coming out late, you have questions about his athleticism, not because for any other reason you just didn't see it on tape and you don't have enough information. That's really different nowadays because of the way our sport's covered. But if there's a guy like... Maybe the most consequential pro day, in my opinion, would be like Kayvon Thibodeau. He didn't work out, do all the drills at Indy, and and that, therefore his pro day will be important. What about the extra eighth of an inch on a quarterback's hand? Like the crazy measurables we're getting, yeah. obviously, Kenny Pickett this year. But how, how much did that impact you, if at all? Yeah, context is everything. He has 27 fumbles. It matters. If Kenny Pickett didn't have a fumbling problem, I don't care if he had two-inch hands. But – when you combine historically small hands and 27 fumbles, that's an issue. And if you don't believe me, go ask the New York Giants. Go ask Joe Judge what it's like to have a quarterback that fumbles a lot. Mm-hmm. That, in part, cost him his job. So context is everything, Bob. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. If somebody has smaller hands and they don't have ball security issues, no problem. But in Pickett's case, and I like Pickett, by the way. I would draft him. He's my first quarterback. But – I'm also glad that I'm picking him for ESPN. Listen to the ESPN national radio broadcast. And I'm not trying to, you know, feed my kids and educate them based on Kenny Pickett's ball security. Because if I was, I'd be scared to death and I even have less hair than I do today. Well, you know, Mike, the NFL would be better off and some team out there would be better off if you lost even more hair and got back into that war room and were picking players on some team's behalf. Because, you know, the wide angle lens of your career, teams won. Like, teams you ran won. They won a lot of games. And so, uh, and I'm saying this, I don't even need a job. There was a time where I probably <laughs> needed to beg you for a job and I would have endorsed you. But uh, <laughs> I'm gainfully well, employed, and I'm saying you you should be back running a team at some point, in my opinion. I, I appreciate it. I have great teammates at the at ESPN and a few other things that I'm doing, and I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm happy where I am, but thank you. Well, I you, appreciate you nailed the canned media answer to that uh, tee up as well. So nice, <laughs> nicely done. You've been trained well. Mike, thanks a million for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. All right. Always fascinating talking draft, Greg, with someone who's been in it. And we obviously appreciate Mike's time, knowledge. And when we come back, you and I are going to wrap up this episode. I want to get your take on some of the things that he said. Sure. Um, Because, you know, from pro days to quarterbacks to the setting of the board to, you know, and again, I think those fascinating conversations that people don't realize are happening behind closed doors about the human being you're drafting as opposed just to the player that you see, you know, kind of anonymously in a helmet on tape. That's all coming up next on Tapehead's draft season. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at tmobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying cows are bust. You can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, DeMarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even posted to my my day. day. (laughs) (laughs) Bobble Shoes and Greg Cosell back on Tapehead's draft season after having about 25 or so minutes to pick the brain of Mike Tannenbaum. And, Greg, I'm sure you agree we probably could have picked his brain for 250 minutes, not yeah. just 25 minutes. I mean, obviously, all the things that he's been through. I, I think the part of the whole draft process that I find most interesting, and it was kind of baked into a lot of the stories that he told, was, you know, we look at these players. They're all 22 game tape. We look at players, you know, their statistics, their accomplishments, what they run at the combine. But the human being, right? Like you have to sit across from that person, look them in the eye, and gauge what kind of a man am I drafting? Is he still a kid or is he a man? Is he a leader? Is he a true captain or is he a follower? Is he someone that has the maturity level to now have more money than he ever dreamed possible and do the right thing with it and still be early for meetings? Does he love football? That's the thing that you always hear personnel evaluators talk about and how interesting a part of the process it is for these guys to gauge that about these kids knowing that their careers are at stake. You know, whatever, we we get to watch the games. It's fun. We talk about it. It's football. This is the lively, I mean, this is it. Like Mike just said, I'm educating and feeding my children and housing my family based on my decisions where this is concerned. It's amazing how deep of a dive you have to go into this, making sure you're making the right decision. You know, and I think the one other element to all that, and and obviously you you nailed it, and that's what Mike spoke about, that and the capacity to learn. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of people forget 
how mental a game this is. And I, you know, I've been very fortunate to have been at a lot of training camps through my career and to be allowed to sit in on meetings. And when you sit in on meetings and how quickly they go through things, particularly in training camp, and then the players have to then go back to their rooms and it's 10 o'clock at night when the meetings end, as you know, Bob, and then they've got to study that playbook because the next day the coaches expect them to come out on the field and to be able to execute what the meeting was about the night before and what they theoretically learned. So the capacity to learn is also critically important, which is another element besides the character and the personality and the, the ability to, you know, play well with others. Um, but so much because the, the one thing about the NFL game that's different than the college game is there are so many more tactical, strategic elements to it. And you have to learn those things because if you play in the NFL, and, and just to use a word that a lot of people would be familiar with, if everything you do is vanilla, if it's basically tactically simple, you can't function in the NFL like that over a period of time. Because as you know, Bob, there's a lot of really smart coaches. So it's it's the capacity of players to learn. And sometimes when a kid's 20 or 21, depending on where he played in college, depending on the system he was in, depending on the conference he was in, they haven't been given a lot of material. And that is really something that is so critical when you draft a player. Yeah, to illustrate that, a story that comes to mind, when Bill Belichick was the defensive coordinator of the Jets, he showed me one time just one player's scouting report for one game. He had Aaron Glenn's homework assignment, basically. Right. When he was playing corner for the Jets, the Jets were playing the Seahawks the following week. And Joey Galloway was, you know, the best wide receiver uh, for the Seahawks at that time. Aaron Glenn was the Jets' best cover corner. And Bill Belichick showed me, like, what Aaron Glenn had to do to get ready for that game. Not on the field, on paper. Right. And it was, you have to give me, like, a list of tendencies. When Joey Galloway is at the line of scrimmage, if his left foot is in front of his right foot... What are the tendencies? What does he do percentage-wise? If his hands are relaxed at his side rather than clenched at a fist, what does yeah. he do? Like those body language tells are something that they had to study based on every formation. If they line up in three by one, if they line up in two by two, if they line up in, you know, like whatever the personnel groups were, sure. what are the percentages that Joey Galloway is going? So like Aaron Glenn would know that if Joey Galloway's left foot was in front of his right foot, it was three by one. He was the single receiver. He would run like a post corner 65% of the time right, or right. something. And he had to know that he had to be right. standing at the line of scrimmage diagnosing all that. All right, now, wait a minute. They're in three by one. His hands are in fists. His left foot's in front of his right foot. Okay, 65% post corner. And now he's got a tendency in his head. You have to have all... So when these guys yeah. are lining up to run a play, you have to realize all of those thoughts are bouncing back and forth between their ears. They're not just reading and reacting and playing touch football on the street and just go cover this guy. Like, they have done homework to prepare for... And you have to know that the guy has the mental capacity to do all of that, retain that information, and then take it to the field because the other 10 guys are counting on you knowing what you need to know and doing what you need to do. And then as a coach, you also have to understand that there's a certain breaking point, Bob, where you can't give him so much information that he can't play. You know, because I remember I was very fortunate in my career. There was a former coach named Rod Rust 
who coached mm-hmm. in the NFL for years and years as a defensive coordinator. Some people view him as the pioneers of what's called quarters coverage. His act- He actually was the head coach at North Texas in the late 60s. He coached Mean Joe Green. Rod Woodson actually recognized him in his Hall of Fame speech because he was the defensive coordinator in Pittsburgh for a year. But Rod Rust, when he retired, called me up here at Films and he asked if he could come watch tape with me. So for about four or five years, every Monday he would come and sit with me in my office here at NFL Films, and we'd watch tape. And for me, that was an unbelievable learning experience. But the point, of my, the point of my story is this. He taught me so much about defense, but he said, you know, when I was a young coach, he said, I really tried to prove how much I knew. So I tell my players, hey, when they're in this formation, we do this. 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 And then I realized over a period of time that the players couldn't play because there was too much information being given to them that they had to think the game instead of playing the game. So he said, finally, I came to realize that we put in rules and we would say when they're in this particular formation, here's what we do. When they're in every other formation, here are our rules and here's how we play. Because at some point, the players cannot function, Bob, if you're asking them to think the game as opposed to play the game. So I'm always fascinated by just what you said, that sort of where is that delineating balance between overloading a player mentally so that when he gets on the field, he's kind of stuck and he gets frozen because he's thinking as opposed to playing. Which position, especially in this draft, do you think the teams are going to be leaning on all of that the most, like the mental acuity? Because quarterback's obvious, right? The quarterback has to know all 21 other players and what they're doing, and he's he has to know what his protection is, what all routes his guys are going to run. He's changing plays. But the quarterbacks aren't at the top of this draft, theoretically. Maybe Kenny right. Pickett will be. Who knows? But we've got corners. We've got a safety in Kyle Hamilton. We've got tackles. We've got pass rushers. In today's NFL, Which of those positions do you think is the most mentally challenging to play? Well, I'll just say one very quick thing about quarterback, and then I'll give you my answer to that. I think the term that a lot of coaches use with quarterbacks is functional knowledge. There's no way a quarterback can know what all 11 defenders are doing on any given play. Right. That's too much. So based on the play call and the formation, he has to be aware of, let's say, four or five defenders because he can't know what all 11 are doing. So the term that's used is functional knowledge. But, but from being fortunate to be in meetings throughout my career, I would say corner is a very interesting position in terms of transitioning to the league. Because what you get in the NFL is you get more formation looks, you get different people in those formation looks, you get more multiple splits by receivers, so you have to have an understanding in zone coverage in particular, obviously, man, you know, everybody says that's just cat coverage. You got that cat. But, and there's, of course, always technique involved in man, but in zone coverage in the NFL, a corner has to learn so much in transitioning from college football to the NFL. Certainly the hash marks, the difference in hash marks make a major difference, but just everything I spoke about with the different splits and and the different receiver distributions and locations, it's such a critical thing for corners to have a feel for how do they play with their eyes? Are they playing at landmarks? Are they reacting to routes? There's so much that goes into corner play when you're a zone coverage corner that a lot of people might not be aware of. And you see 
the mistakes you see when you see receivers wide open in the pros, which is not that often, but when you do versus zone, it's often because there's so many gray areas in zone coverage with corners and safeties too as well. But there's so many gray areas that it's sometimes it's just difficult. And there are voids in every zone. Coaches know that, Bob, and they're trying to make sure those voids don't become issues, but there right. are voids in every zone. Otherwise, everybody would play the same zone. Right. Yeah, no doubt. Um, hey, before we wrap this up, I'll give you my biggest takeaway from Mike Tannenbaum, and then I want you to wrap the episode with your biggest takeaway okay. from Mike. My biggest takeaway, and Mike was a good drafter. You know, Mike came up as a financial guy. Like, Mike yeah. was not raised as a football player. He was not raised as a coach. He was raised as, like, an intern who then became the salary cap guy as the assistant general manager yeah. and just absorbed an enormous amount of football being around Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick and Terry Bradway and whatnot, um, but leaned on his football guys, obviously, to make football calls. But, of course, like, the final call was his. You're the general manager. You have to put your final stamp of approval on all draft choices. And he was a good drafter. And to me... The thing that I, and it sounds like an oversimplification of the process, but to me, what I took out of what he said, talent wins, right? Like Laramie Tunsil has this wacky, you know, gas mask wearing social media video. He's available at 13. He's a great player. Take him. We believe in Darrell Revis. Trade up. Take him. We believe in Xavier Howard. Trade up. Take him. We believe in David Harris. Go get him. Like having that conviction of trusting your board and your evaluation even if the rest of the league is saying that's not where that player should be taken, even if the rest of the league is saying that player may not be worth that kind of compensation, have that conviction in what you believe and go get your guy. And the best players that I think the Jets took and the Dolphins took when Mike Tannenbaum was the general manager of both probably are guys that fit into that column, right? Like a guy that Terry Bradway is coming back from the pit workout Right. And saying, look, we, we have to go get Darrell Rivas. He's not going to be there at 21. And there were some raised eyebrows when they traded up and, and picked him where they picked him. And it turns out they picked arguably the most complete corner in football history at 14, right, I think is where they took him. But to me, that was my takeaway. Like, have that conviction that your guy is your guy. And even if what the rest of the league is saying about that player through their actions tells you you may be making a mistake, screw it. I believe in my evaluation. I'm going to go get my guy. My biggest takeaway was that scheme adaptability, the story that Mike told about Herm Edwards and Rex Ryan. Yeah, that's because a great story. I, I think that when I watch tape, and, and because I'm not working for a team, on my transition sheet, because I have an evaluation sheet where I go strengths, weaknesses, and transition, that's one of the things I always type in about how I see a player transitioning to the league. Because as we've spoken about, there are very few scheme transcendent players. Uh, and players, for the most part, have to fit into specific schemes. And yeah, can coaches tweak their schemes? Sure, they can. But for the most part, coaches have a certain philosophy that's the way they coach. Rex Ryan is not, you know, if he got a chance to come back, he's not all of a sudden going to be 80% zone. That's not the way he sees the game. So I thought the scheme adaptability was such an important point, and it's why there's such a difference in the way organizations can evaluate and transition players to the league. Yeah, that's great stuff. And um, we're going to continue to bring guests like Mike Tannenbaum on this podcast to do a deeper dive 
into how others put their draft board together or, you know, how coaches obviously look at the draft as well. There's a lot of different lenses to look at the draft through, and we'll continue to do a deep dive into the different positions that we haven't gotten to, and we will circle back as we get you all the way up to draft day on the quarterbacks and the wide receivers and the tight ends and the guys that we've hit to this point. So hit us up on social media. Make sure to download and subscribe. And we're back next week with BC head coach Jeff Halfley. Be very interesting to get his take on everything that he sees heading up towards the draft. Thanks for being a tapehead, and thanks for joining us on Tapehead's draft season. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 4-14-24 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.